Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Well, welcome. We have been having a very fun discussion this morning talking about what does everyday brave look like? Hey, yeah, you know, you're saying the word brave a lot, and um, and that's an interesting concept, and I love it because our, our guest today is going to be talking about everyday brave, and I like that term. But um, so, I, yeah, I think it's just showing up in your own story is part of it. You okay. have to do that. Uh, you're, you're making me laugh because we you just got done telling me, speaking of showing up in your own story, how I shared last week with our listeners that you were visiting the Pope, like literally you and a small group of, I don't know, 15 individuals were meeting with the Pope, not just standing in line, you know, waiting in the hot sun in Rome to go see the Pope. And you shared your Pope story with me that made me laugh so hard. So speaking of everyday brave, you have to share that, that story. <laughs> You're really going to... Okay, so this this is you can appreciate this, and hopefully it, it translates well here. But so, it, like you said, there was a small group of us last year. Uh, a group of us got to go have um, meet with the Pope in the Vatican. We had like two hours with him, just having conversation. A lot of us were, pa- you know, pastors and different people there. And um, the Pope is all about unity in the in the church at large. You know, Catholics, Protestants, whatever. So, um, so uh, our group was invited back this year, and this year there was like 16 of us that went. So it was a smaller group, and so we're just sitting with the Pope in this kind of a small circle in the Vatican. He's sitting on his like his little his chair, and first of all, I got to say he's an amazing man. Um, so yeah. humble, so kind, um, unbelievable, just oozes Jesus. But um, our friend that kind of leads this last year, what he he did is he he had these questions for the Pope and the Pope doesn't speak as uh, good of English. So there's a translator. He understands it better than he, he speaks it. So you, you're talking through a translator and our, our friend Joe is last year asked these different questions and the Pope would answer. And so that was kind of the format. So Joe was going to do that again this year. And he had this little book that the Pope had just written about holiness. And so he was, he had it right with him and he's sitting next to the Pope and he opens a book and he's going to start asking him questions and he stops, Joe stops and he closes the book and he puts it next to him. And he says, you know what, Pope Francis, I think what I'm going to do is I think um, I want you to know the people that are sitting in this room that, that have come to meet with you. Um, you know, as you have to understand, as if we're sitting in this circle, it's a little intimidating anyway. To You're like, I'm in the Vatican. I'm in this you know, this kind of personal room, I'm we're sitting with the Pope. How do you take that all in, right? <laughs> so I, I'm in this posture of sitting back, listening and gleaming and taking it all in, okay? So you're sitting there, you're just kind of relaxed, but but trying to take it all in. And all of a sudden, my friend, our friend Joe said, um, I want you to hear from this group and so you get to know who they are. And he looks at me and he goes, Lisa, 
why don't you tell Pope Francis <laughs> some of the stuff that you're doing with women and doing globally? Patty, I about died. Talk about everyday break. I, I went from like casually sitting back to sitting up and then I immediately started sweating. Like my face, like you could just, it's like that hot flash on steroids. Yeah. And so as I'm starting to say, cause it's like, okay, where do I begin? What do I say? It's like, oh my gosh, this is the Pope. And I don't know. And so you're trying to collect your thoughts. At the same time, the story I'm telling myself is quit sweating. Is it really obvious to everybody that you are profusely sweating? Is my face red or is my hair going limp now? You know how those come, you're having that conversation. And then can I, can I keep going? Cause I have to tell you, it, it reminded me of a moment. And I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, when I was in my um, menopause hot flash season, like really heavy, and I would sweat, like the back of my neck would just start, I could feel it coming on and it would go to the back of my neck, my hair, and then my face would just start sweating. And I think you remember those days well. I, I do remember those days. Yeah. Well, I remember this one day you and me were sitting at a business meeting with two men and we were having this meeting and I could feel it coming on. And so my thought was keep talking faster and nobody will notice. And we were in a restaurant, I believe, and I grabbed a napkin. And so I was trying to very, um, very discreetly, like, as I'm talking instead of, and looking like I'm like really pondering an idea, I would take this napkin and just blot my forehead, but look like I was thinking, you know how you do that? And I, so I remember, yeah, you remember this. So I I'm dabbing as I'm doing that. And then I didn't realize it, but in my dabbing, I left um, parts of the napkin on my on my face, and of you were shredding tissue all yes. over your. <laughs> I, I didn't realize it, and 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 you in your you, I was good. You finally good. Okay, I gotta point out you have napkin all over your face. You look like a mummy. It was this little pieces of napkin of like tissue paper that was stuck to your face. And I kept thinking, surely she feels that. Surely she knows. She did not. She did not. And and so we had to name it and claim it. And I remember one of the guys saying, I've heard about hot flashes like this, but I've never seen it, which made it worse. So Anyway, that's my story. I got off on tangent, but yeah, everyday brave is how do you tell even your own story, you know, when put on the spot and that was a big time put on the spot, but it was amazing. But yeah, so that's a long story. We are going to have to go back to this because we all are leaning in now to hear what you said to the to the Pope. And, and yet we have this amazing guest, Rachel, waiting patiently for um, all of our hot flash stories <laughs> to be unfolded here. But we are going to have a great day today talking about Everyday Brave we have with us today, Rachel. And Rachel Linden is a novelist and international aid worker whose adventures living and traveling in 50 countries around the world obviously per provides great information for her amazing novels. She holds an MA in Intercultural Studies from Wheaton College and a BA in Literature from Huntington University. She also has studied creative writing at Oxford University uh, while she was in college. So we want to welcome you, Rachel. You are in the beautiful Seattle right now, while we are in Arizona, where it's um, nice and hot. I think today is going to get up to 115. Uh, what does it look like there in this beautiful Seattle weather? Mm, good morning, Patty and Lisa. Thank you for having me. 
Uh, yeah, well, the best kept secret of Seattle is that we actually have summers that I think are kind of like heaven. So they're like mm-hmm. 75, sunny, clear. You can see the mountains with a light breeze. And um, yeah, so Arizona, I love green, I love wet, and I love um, cool temperatures. So Arizona is not my idea of a good time. Um, but I love Seattle, even when it's rainy and cloudy, because we do have like nine months of clouds and then three months of just glorious weather. So we're in those three months. Uh, yeah, Lisa was just there after she went. She went from the Pope to Portland. Uh, so pretty close. Nice. To you. Yes. And uh, so she, she she has all kinds of stories. Um, tell us about Portland, Lisa, on your once again, stories of everyday brave. Oh my gosh, I don't know where you're going. <laughs> we were in, <laughs> I'm in my posture of listening to Rachel. I want to hear from Rachel. <laughs> All right, we, we will. We'll get back. I want to hear more about the Pope. <laughs> I love the Pope. I, if it's possible to have a Pope crush, I have a Pope crush on Pope Francis because I think he's just amazing. Oh, he truly is. And, you know, I mean, oh. everything you read and then when you sit with the man, uh, we had two hours and 45 minutes with him uninterrupted. Oh. Or just like, I'm at one point, our friend said, how much time do you have? And he goes, I have time. And um, it, it would, I mean, that's just doesn't happen. We had a bishop with us and he said, he doesn't give this time to cardinals and bishops. <laughs> so it was, he was just him. Lise, why do you think that he was so, I mean, because also two and a half hours in this setting, because he's talking through an interpreter, which I always find fascinating because you're mm-hmm. not having an, you're actually truly having to lean in and listen because you're having to listen to an interpreter. So why do you think he gave you guys so much time? Um, you know, he, we were there um, with a, a group called John 17 about unity. Um, and he's all about unity. So I think it's his heart. And I think he really wants to be a bridge um, in, in the world. And so I think it's like listening to the other. And, you know, we're the other. We're a lot of uh, Protestant pastors um, and, and ministry. And so... I don't know, to tell you the truth, that's the only thing I can think of, but it was, uh, I mean, he was beyond gracious, and he oozes Jesus. I mean, there was no, like, it was not a religious conversation, it was about Jesus. Yeah. And what does that look like, to live like Jesus? And so we just had those, just, you know, conversations, so um, it was it was pretty amazing. But that's done, we have, like, like two minutes let <laughs> um, Rachel that we're so glad you were able to share um, and with us <laughs> we were going to let you talk I just want you to know we're going to let you talk um, well it's very entertaining to just listen to you so either way it's great <laughs> yeah are you glad we uh, we invited you to our, our show so to you share your oh, yes. yes we invite yes, you and then we're going to do all the talking this is not normal um, so when we when we're going to take a break in about a minute or so and then we'll come back and we really are we want to hear from you because I'm done listening to myself right now but um, I am really curious because you have spent a lot of time abroad um, so you have a very global perspective um, just with, to our world which I find fascinating and I want to hear and learn more from you and um I actually, I'd never really done Europe that much. I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. And so this summer, my husband and I got to do Europe a little bit. And it's just interesting to just, to be on a learning curve too, um, of just what's going on um, and, and attitudes and things there. So um, it, it, it's just fascinating. So um, we want to hear from you. Like I said, we're going to take a quick break in a few minutes here. But I, I just want to ask you from your global coming back, um, and I know, like writing the novel, that was 
did you find that that was so instrumental in what you're like starting your novel? I mean, that really gives you a different perspective and depth to your writing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And everyone, you know, everyone comes with their own experiences that, um, that really lend themselves to whatever they're writing. And so I just have the wonderful fortune to have been able to write this story, write it, set it in Central Europe, which is a place I had lived and worked for five years and a place I deeply love that I think is very underrepresented in literature. There's not a lot written about places like Bosnia or Kosovo. Um, and before I lived there, I couldn't have found them on a net map. Okay, we're going we're to have to hold that thought. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Tokinet Radio Network. Radio with a cutting edge. It's words you never heard. Here are some tips from the popular UK internet site BuzzFeed to help make your life a little more fun. Next time you catch a cold, try adding a touch of magic by holding a handful of glitter in front of your mouth just before you sneeze. By the way, here's a word coined by a Canadian disc jockey for that feeling you get just before you sneeze. Anticipation. Hey, slang is just language with its sleeves rolled up. The actual medical term for sneezing is sternutation. Here's a suggestion from one expert for making a cell phone last longer. You can double the battery life of your cell phone by simply putting the darn thing down. Well, that's plain old rumble gumption, which is another word for common sense. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show, on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome back. I would say we have been chatting with the author of Becoming the Talbot Sisters, Rachel Linden, but instead we've just been chatting. (laughs) So now we are going to actually um, listen to Rachel talk about her new book, and it sounds amazing. Uh, First of all, Rachel, you you have lived in uh, Budapest for five years or so? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
I have to tell you, it, I worked in the airline industry, and for whatever reason, um, my friends and I thought it would be really fun. We were sitting around the office, and we said, let's go to Budapest this weekend. And so we decided to go to Budapest, and I, I just I couldn't get over the, how beautiful it was, but there was a wedding going on, and they were wearing the traditional like Budapest, you know, whatever that traditional outfit. It was Once again, it was beautiful, and I don't have the information to know why they dressed up as these, you know, in the wedding, but we did, um, a photo bombing and we asked them, can we be a part of the wedding picture? <laughs> and they were so, so kind. And they were like, yes. So I have all these pictures of me being in this wedding in Budapest. And we're the only ones that are dressed like Americans as they're wearing these beautiful outfits. So do you know anything about that? Like why they wear these traditional wedding outfits? Oh, well, that, hmm, no one has ever asked me that question before. <laughs> I don't know about the traditional wedding outfits. I know that traditionally Hungarians, the Hungarian people came from Central Asia. So they're actually much more connected to like the Uyghur people of Western China and mm -hmm. Central Asian people. And so some of those beautiful design patterns, even things that look a little bit Turkish with red tulips and embroidery, um, those are traditionally Hungarian. So they're really beautiful, feminine, kind of delicate, very interesting patterns in the traditional outfits. Oh, it, it was white with all the red embroidery with, oh, it was, mm -hmm. it was beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't your normal wedding dress. It was exactly what, what you described. Okay. So we will get into talking about your book, Becoming the Talbot Sisters. Tell us a little bit about your story. And Lisa and I, love, we were talking about how it's being everyday brave. So what happened in your life that all of a sudden created um, this yearning in you to put this book out? Well, that's a great question. I think um, I wanted to write this story for a number of reasons. I wanted to set it in Central Europe because I love the region and it just has so much rich history and all kinds of interesting things that can happen there, things that I was able to put in the book. And then I also wanted, I really wanted to write a story about women having courage in the face of challenge and women choosing relational connection in the face of challenge and choosing to do the right thing, even when it costs them, because I think that's a message. Women are strong. We are strong and we endure a lot, but I wanted to put that in a book format to really encourage women to be everyday brave and say, you can do this. This is possible. Let's do this together. Let's encourage one another to be brave in the face of whatever life challenges you are experiencing in the moment. Mm. That is so true. And, and you, you see this even globally, women are connecting more and, and rising up and, and being strong. Okay, so this whole Central Europe, you were saying earlier that you feel like not a lot has been, like we've learned a lot about that. And I was saying earlier, we were in Europe too. And um, there is so much to learn about history that even makes sense today. When you read things today or see things, you're like, oh, that makes sense because of what happened then. What are some things that, that you have uh, brought out from your experience living in Budapest and different places that you have put into this novel, this book? I think the first thing I put was just my love for the region. There is a region that has just been decimated time and again by war, by genocide, by occupation. Um, Budapest was, you know, Hungary was occupied by the Nazis. It was occupied by the Soviets. Most of the area where we were working is post-communist and just has a legacy of a lot of hardship. 
But beyond that hardship, there's also a legacy of incredibly strong, resilient people enduring a significant amount and triumphing in the end. And so I think uh, when you're walking in history and you're walking in these footsteps, uh, we were living in a place that routinely we would walk down the street and there were buildings from 100, 200 years ago. And you were, you're living in history, this living history. And some of it is terrible history. It's about Jewish people in Budapest being taken away to Auschwitz. And then there's amazing history about the Swedish diplomat who saved as many as he could by giving them Swedish papers as they were on the train, giving them Swedish mm-hmm. citizen papers and saving hundreds of lives. So mm-hmm. as you're living this history, there's a richness to an understanding of human nature and, um, and, and what we're standing on the shoulders of that I think is very impacting. Hmm. What what was uh, one of the factors that you guys that uh, you chose to live in Budapest and chose Central Europe in the, in, in the beginning? Well, our organization we were with a faith based not for profit, and our organization's Central European office was wonderfully based in Budapest. So when we said yes to taking a position overseeing the Central European region for our organization, uh, happily we got to live in Budapest, which was such a benefit. We had our two children there. We had a wonderful community, a great church, and it's just a gorgeous city. And Hungarian people are very welcoming, and it was it was a really lovely place to live. Hmm. So in your book, how much of your own real life do you did you incorporate into the storyline? I put, there are a couple of major themes in the book. So other than being everyday brave, some of the themes are about infertility and miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And then one of the themes is about sexual exploitation and trafficking of women. And those are things that strike really close to home. Um, my husband and I miscarried our first baby when we were living in Budapest. And it was so, it was such a traumatic and sad event. But at the same time, there was so much of God's grace in it. And what we discovered was that it was like we had been given a ticket to a club nobody wanted to be a part of, but tons mm-hmm. of people were a part of. Mm-hmm. This club of, um, of infertility, of pregnancy loss, of loss of a child. And I realized it's so common, but it's not something that's talked about very openly. Mm-hmm. So, so that theme in the book is very deep, close to my heart. Um, and I wanted to talk about it in a real, warm, relational way in this story. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you, the, the, we talked earlier about everyday brave, that kind of that, mm-hmm. I, you know, you hear a lot about be brave and, you know, uh, different things. How did you come up with that? What does everyday brave mean to you? Mm. Well, everyday brave to me feels like courageously facing life's big challenges every single day. So I think it's a simple concept. When you say it, it's kind of bite-sized. It's simple, but it's not an easy thing to do. It's really standing courageously against all of life's fears and challenges, no matter what the circumstances, and standing believing that if we stand courageously beyond those challenges, there is something better. And, you know, as women, we face a a lot of challenges in our lives. We can be facing challenges in careers, family relationships, roles as wives, mothers, sisters, daughters. Um, There are matters of the heart that are very complicated. There are just a lot of areas of life where we can face challenge. And being everyday brave takes guts. It takes grit. It takes a lot of hope and optimism and determination. As you have written, obviously you love to write and express, um, you know, through your book in different ways. Have you found through your writing that has opened up venues and opportunities for women to feel like they can be everyday brave and start sharing their story as a result? 
Yes, yes. And that's a wonderful thing. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping not just that people get to the end and go, wow, that was a fun story about these twin sisters on this crazy adventure through Central Europe. But they get to the end and they think, oh, wow, yes, okay. I want to think about mending my relationship with my sister. I want to be brave in the face of this. I'm not alone when facing this big challenge in employment or, um, you know, I have a, t- a history of sexual abuse or exploitation and I'm not alone in that. And I can be brave in triumphing over that. And I do get emails from people and talk with people at events and they'll say that like, wow, this is really making me think about my relationship and how I can make it better. Or this is really giving me courage. And, um, and that's exactly what I hope for. I hope that this book has impact beyond just being a good, interesting story. Mm-hmm. Well, your comment, given a ticket to a club, is really interesting. My my daughter just recently um, went through, uh, I, I get the names all, you know, I can't figure everything out, the tubular pregnancy, and literally oh, yeah. was in ER, and she kept waiting and waiting. The, the surgeon came in, and she was minute away from her internally it burned so had like a liter of inside of her and that uh she had yeah you know to take her and all that that this club that you're talking about people know how to respond know the uh, so many things take place but i think um we just know the right things to say and uh, you, you also get into talking about see because there is such a if that's taking place there and what what can we do you know with that everybody says oh well you can adopt um, how do you feel about that? I would say that well I think. Um it really depends on the circumstances and the people. So there are a lot of interesting kind of non-traditional options now. There's adoption, there's surrogacy that really is becoming a bit more known and a bit more common. Uh, there, some friends of mine have just recently undergone embryo adoption where they're adopting, adopting embryos that were not used in other fertility treatments from other people, but the people don't want their embryos destroyed. And so they give them up for adoption. So Two friends of ours have a beautiful little boy and a beautiful little girl uh, through embryo adoption, which is very interesting. So I think there's not a right or a wrong way to do it. I think it really depends through prayer and through seeking what's best for your family, figuring out what what God's vision is for your family and what that looks like. And that is such a good way. I, I have not heard of that embryo adoption um, before, but I, I love what you're saying is, you know, do prayer and what works for your family. Cause I think it's easy to go, I should be doing what so-and-so is doing. And, and instead of going who, what's best for our family and, and, and through prayer deciding and not trying to just do what we think we should be doing, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that, it, yeah. that, that goes into even raising kids or whatever we're doing that we always think I, I have to have this formula or do whatever. And a lot of times it's just what is best for your family through, through listening to God. But we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back, Rachel.
This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend it Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Even though you may not know that you're eating them, trans fats will soon be gone from the American diet. Fox News says that trans fats are created when hydrogen is added to vegetable oil to make it more solid, like shortening and margarine, which is why they are also called partially hydrogenated oils. It increases the shelf life of food and enhances flavor. Foods commonly containing trans fats are microwave popcorn, pie crusts, frozen pizza, biscuits, frosting, coffee creamers, and margarine. A diet that is rich in trans fats has been linked to memory loss, higher body weight, heart disease, and a greater rise in LDL or bad cholesterol in the blood, which leads to cardiovascular disease. And cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of death in the U.S. Trans fats are not good for human consumption, and the FDA has ruled that they need to be phased out in the next few years because they are a threat to public health. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, sometimes a story used as in troubles of the world, but other acts as a dominating situation as a way of ice. Coming the top of this, Rachel Linden hopes to issues important to around the world urge them to live what she describes as everyday brave. And Rachel, in our last segment, we were talking about embryo adoption, which I I find that fascinating, and that's not a term I've I've heard of. Uh, so can you explain a little bit about what embryo adoption, what that is? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So essentially when couples go through, and I haven't been through this myself, so this is just sort of because a couple of friends have gone through it, I understand something about the process. So when uh, a couple goes through infertility treatments and um, the infertility clinic will also, or the fertility clinic will often make a number of embryos and then implant the ones that are most viable. But often there are more embryos, like sometimes up to 12 that are created and then they're frozen in case the couple wants more children. But generally people don't want like 15 children. And so there are often some embryos that are alive and viable, but they are not, they're not used. And often they're destroyed if they're not used. And some couples don't want children, these, um, these embryos to be destroyed. And so they are giving them up for adoption to couples mm-hmm. who for whatever reason can't, can't create an embryo themselves. So two of our friends, um, two different couples have been unable to have their own children, but they have been able to adopt an embryo, have it implanted, 
carry it through the whole pregnancy themselves and then have a beautiful little boy and then a beautiful little girl. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah, it's a, very, it's a very interesting thing. It is a whole new world. Yeah, and it's kind of like the effects of science that were a bit unintentional with like, oh my gosh, now we have six embryos. What do we do with them? We don't want to destroy mm-hmm. them. And then turning it around and making something beautiful in this very unusual form of adoption that allows a couple to have the wonderful experience of pregnancy and birth and having that baby from you know, day one. Mm, wow. It, okay. This is a really silly question. Can you nurse when it's, cause yeah, cause your body goes through the whole pregnancy. So that was, that mm-hmm. was really a really silly question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your body is. is... <laughs> I think <laughs> so. Like, hey. Seems like you'd be able to. Uh, next question, Patty. <laughs> as soon as that came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, okay, take it back. Take it back. Well, <laughs> tell us a little bit more, Rachel, just kind of a, a quick summary. I I'm sitting here staring at your book and I, I really can't wait to dive into it. Even the cover of it. It's beautiful. The pastel blue. And I, I just want you to know my, my office is pastel blue. So I think I might just have it sitting here on my on my desk because it matches my Perfect. room. Just, just saying, but tell Perfect. us a, a quick, like a one minute summary of what the book is about. When they sent me the cover, I thought, Oh, I don't want this to be the cover of the book. I want to wear it. I want to live in it. Yes. I want this to be my wallpaper or my bedspread. <laughs> it's really beautiful. They did a great job. Uh, yeah. So the book is just a really, it's women's fiction. It's a hopeful story. It's about estranged adult twin sisters Waverly and Charlie. Waverly is a celebrity chef who seems like she has her entire life going perfectly. She has a loving British husband. She has a successful television show. But the thing that she most wants in life is a child, a baby, and she keeps having miscarriages. And so she's heartbroken that she may never get to be a mother. Her estranged twin sister, Charlie, lives in Budapest. She is a humanitarian aid worker. She works with women's health. And she has some secret trauma in her past that really is stopping her from being able to connect with people and move forward in relationships. And when the sisters come together after the death of the aunt who raised them, Charlie realizes there's this distance and feels sad that she and her sister have grown so far apart. And so she offers to be a surrogate and carry a baby for Waverly. And that starts off this entire interesting journey. They end up in Central Europe together. They go on a very unexpected adventure across Central Europe and have um, all kinds of things happen where they really have to come together to save the baby, to save themselves, and their their courage is tested and their relationship is rebuilt. Mm. Sounds fascinating. Yes. <laughs> wow. And um, what? Okay. So there, your book has many different themes. We just talked themes to it. We just talked about like the surrogacy and all that. And I know there's a theme up with with the the human sex trafficking. And I want to get to that and ask you about that. But um, this this theme with that you have just with the relationship and as you were doing research for all of this because you just talked about trauma and you know relational connections and um, you know dreams kind of you know unfulfilled dreams in your research for all that what is something that you learned as you were diving into this to to write this book one of the things that I think was most fascinating to me was um, actually there's a TED talk. I think his name is Johan Hari and it's about connection and addiction and addiction doesn't really play much into the story, but the connection definitely does. And he talked about how 
we as humans are wired for connection. And if we do not connect healthily to someone else, we will connect to something, which is where a lot of addictions come from, because we are we are made to connect. And so I, as I was writing this story, I was thinking about that with these two women that are in different ways hiding secrets, they're isolated from one another, and looking at um, the idea of connection, of coming together in healthy relationships, that we're just, that is ingrained in us, that is how we were created, and that often we don't know how to do it well, but there's a deep, deep longing in us for healthy, fulfilling connection, relational connection. That's, yeah, so true. That sounds fascinating. And you can totally see in that theme. Well, okay, so the other theme, one of the other themes that's in your book is this whole thing with the, with the sex trafficking. And Patty and I have, have engaged in this. We, we've done um, strip club ministry. We've um, been involved in this. And like a few years ago when the uh, Super Bowl came to our area, we, um, we got, because a lot of times when they have sporting events, um, the, the trafficking goes up. Um, around those. And so we were kind of engaging with that. Um, so what, tell, let's talk about that. What did you learn from that? Why is that aspect in your book? And what have you learned and seen through all of that? Well, I lived for a lot of years in Central Europe and worked for a lot of years with women in trauma. And some of the women that I worked with had been had been trafficked and exploited and I remember the first time I sat across from women who had been trafficked and were in a safe house in Moldova, and we were sitting across from one another just having cookies and juice, and I thought, oh, my gosh, as we shared, I thought, oh, my gosh, these are just women like me. We're the same age. Some of them were young moms. And I thought, oh, wow, this isn't about numbers. This isn't about causes. This is about people. This is about women in really tough situations. And the bravery of the women that I that I met and worked with the incredible resilience in the face of significant trauma was really inspiring and also very heartbreaking. So I wanted to write a story for years. I've wanted to write a story about trafficking, but I didn't want to do it from a sensationalized way. I didn't want to do it from an exploitative way. I really wanted to focus on the relational aspect of it and the women centered aspect of it, of these women who, how does it happen? Why does it happen? And then, how do they rebuild their lives after it? So that is one of the themes of the story because Charlie does end up interacting with women who have been trafficked. And there's a lot about the, the reality of it in Europe because um, it happens all the time. It happens in Central Europe all the time. There were women who were being trafficked in my metro station every time I walked through or almost every time I walked through. So those are just really hard realities that were surrounding me. But then there are also just incredibly courageous women who are coming out of those difficult situations and trying to rebuild their lives. When you, when you make a comment about, you know, every time you walk through the, or often when you walk through the Metro that you could tell people were being trafficked there, what are some of the signs for people to, to look for? And I, and I think we're getting better because I know I do a lot of traveling and anymore you walk into the restroom stalls and it says, if you're seeing this, you know, call this number. And, but what would you say some of the signs of trafficking for us to or a lot of times it is women just in un, yeah, women or children in unusual situations where you're just getting a bad vibe about things. So often it will be uh, a woman or a child who's an, accompanied by an older adult male. They may be posing as a father figure or a boyfriend, and often they're the pimp. So in my metro station, they were generally Roma 
women controlled by members of their own family or their own social group. And they would just be sort of patrolling the main area of the metro station while these guys hung out in the hallway in one of the stairwells and watched them and smoked. And you could just watch and make a beeline and go, okay, there's the woman. And yep, about three yards away, there's this man who is watching her to make sure she's doing exactly what she should do. So just being aware of, you know, if a woman seems like she's in a vulnerable position, who else is around? Is there somebody who's keeping an eye on her that seems like they're exerting control over her? Mm -hmm. Um, If you find somebody who's not free to come and go at will, if they don't seem to have official documentation, if they show signs of physical abuse, and if they seem just really tense, if, they ner- if they're nervous or if they're not making eye contact, if they seem afraid of police, if they seem depressed, um, if they're just inconsistencies in the story or they seem really secretive, those are all red flags that something may not be going well, that they may be being controlled and exploited in some way. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you do when you, uh, we only have two minutes here, Rachel, but what, what do you do when you see this? If you suspect that someone is a victim of sex trafficking, there's actually a good a good amount of support available in the U.S. So if you're in the U.S., you call the National Human Trafficking Hotline, and uh, there's a toll-free number. And I think you can also text them and do texting, but just let them know. You could also call local law enforcement as well, but the National Trafficking Hotline will have good live people you can talk to who will really give you uh, advice. And that, that's so important that you need to call because we, we have seen where you go up to that person and they're not going to, there's really nothing you can do. It's not like you can save them right there. And usually what happens, like you said, the pimp that is, you know, smoking nearby is pretty much probably going to beat the living daylights out of them if they were having a normal conversation with someone and they weren't out there trying to make some money. So it's just important because so many times we see that in our heartbreak, so we want to go talk to them. Yes, exactly. And if you have suspicions, call. Check it out. Don't wonder. Just call and find out because you could be saving someone, but definitely don't approach them and don't try to fix it yourself. Really try to get people involved that have the resources to help in the best way. Mm. It's so true. It's such a learning curve because so many times we think we're helping when actually we're hurting and we have no idea what we're doing. So this is such a great tip and and just things to be aware of and just, you know, every day when you're just be observant to what's around. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, Rachel. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about your book and let our readers, uh, listeners know how they can find out more information. We'll be right back with Girlfriend at Radio. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. 
We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. There are many positive things about growing older. Having more wisdom and a more relaxed attitude are just a few of the benefits. But one downside of aging is a decline in lean muscle mass. All of us lose valuable muscle as we grow older, which leaves some of us weaker and more prone to injury. The solution is weightlifting. Livestrong states that for people over 50 years of age, weight training can be a great way to build muscle mass, boost strength, and improve certain medical problems. According to the American College of Sports Medicine, adults under 65 should lift weights two days per week, while those over 65 should weight train two to three days per week. Weightlifting builds muscles and bone and keeps you strong. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond, keeping you healthy, happy, and fit. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We've been having an amazing time with author Rachel Linden, who has a new novel out called Becoming the Tablet Sisters. And through this book, she hopes to bring a greater awareness to issues important to women around the world and encourage them to live with what she describes as everyday brave. And we... We went into the commercial break, but we were talking about this huge problem of human trafficking around the world, and you have some statistics that you sent to us, Rachel, um, that it's truly staggering. According to the new estimates by the International Labor, Labor Organization, roughly 25 million people are in force labor worldwide and 4.8 million people mostly women and children are in forced sexual exploitation and uh i love how you have the the latter number is more than the entire state of south carolina or the country of ireland just to put that in perspective and uh, we were talking about when you would see you know at the metro like what can you do and we talked about you know don't approach them, uh, that there's you know nothing you can do at that moment. And I just wanted to make it clear that we're saying don't try to rescue them right there in the moment. There's plenty of things that we can do to get involved in and be a part of. And I know you had mentioned that even um, the proceeds, quite a few um, of your proceeds is going to an organization in Budapest. So tell us a little bit more about that. So I, after I wrote this book and really wanted to highlight courageous women in the midst of sex trafficking, I thought, okay, I wanted, I'm glad that I did this story, but now I want it to be even more practical. What can I do? And I decided to give 10% of my author proceeds to an amazing organization in Budapest. It's called Hope Dies Last, and it works with trafficked women. It works in safe houses in red light districts. It works with other anti-trafficking organizations all across Europe wonderful organization. I volunteered with them. I know all of the staff. They've had dinner at my dinner table, and I just totally trust in their integrity and their work ethic and the methods they're using in their heart for exploited women. So I'm really excited to be able to give a portion of the proceeds from my book to something that is really making a difference in the lives of exploited women in Europe. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think that's, you know, so many times you see something and you go, gosh, somebody should do something about it, or I want to do something about it, but we're just not sure what that is and what to do. So we appreciate that you have just um, given some some tips and some statistics. And then I just wanted, you had mentioned earlier about the, um, if you suspect something or you see something, um, you know, we said, please don't, you know, go up and get involved. Sometimes that makes it so much worse. But um, you have the number for the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And I just want to put that out there real quick. It's one 888 373-7888 and they can look that up and um, call that and I just want to kind of put it in my in my phone and keep it there so that if you have something you can you can respond right away which is a good way to 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 help and be a part of that so thank you for sharing those tips with us and um, anything else that you learned from that that you think that even for us I know it like you see it in Europe you said and then even here a lot of times we're, we're not aware of what's in our own cities and our own communities, what's going on. So how would you advise us even here? Um, and what have you learned about the issue here at home? Well, I think there are, there's so much going on in our cities that we're not aware of because this is a really hidden thing. It's not like people are just parading around with signs saying, hey, I'm being trafficked. It's very shadowy. It's very secretive. And so one of the, the really the best possible way to learn about it, to get involved as well, is to really seek out the organizations in your state or your city that are doing something, because it's very likely that there are already organizations on the ground. So in Seattle, we have an amazing organization called REST, and they work with women in prostitution and women who are being exploited. They have safe houses. They have transitional houses. They work with law enforcement. So I met with one of the leaders of REST and just had coffee with her um, probably two months ago and just said, okay, tell me about REST. Tell me what's going on in Seattle, because I'm coming from Europe. I know what's happening in Europe, but what's happening now in the city where I'm living? And she was able to talk through the particulars, tell me what's going on, what they need, what they already have kind of covered, how it looks in Seattle. And that was very informative. So I feel a lot more prepped um, in my city now to understand what's happening and to keep an eye out for things. So mm -hmm. I think there's always something you can do. There's always a way you can be involved, but you really want to tap into the resources that are already there because the U.S. does have some very good resources already in place. There is definitely need for more, but if this is something you're passionate about, if this is something you're interested in, find out more through, through information online, through the things going on in your city and your state, and really get informed, and then you'll find the ways that you can particularly help in your unique circumstance. Well, we so appreciate you coming on our show. And before, we want to make sure that our listeners get to um, know where to how to follow you and get more information about this beautiful book. It sounds like a beautiful book cover that um, is a, it's a statement um, in itself. And so um, how, how do, can our listeners find out more information about you and about this book? Well, I, the best way is just my website. It's www.rachellinden.com, and there they can find out all kinds of fun stuff about me. They can email me if they want to. They can find out about both books. I have that one, and then my first book, Ascension of Larks, which takes place on Seattle's San Juan Island, Washington State San Juan Island. So uh, they, can take, they can do that. They can order the book there if they want. And then I'm also on Instagram. I think I'm Rachel Linden under slash writer, and I'm on Facebook as Rachel, author Rachel Linden. So all of those places are great places to connect. I love to hear from people. I respond personally if you email or Facebook me. And uh, I'm just delighted to hear from people all over the world. 
Well, on that note that you're excited to hear from everybody out there, I just want to get down and personal with you that what what is your story? Like you said you went through a miscarriage, but you you do have children. So what happened? How what was the time frame? And tell us a little bit about your story as well as we talked about people want to belong, they want to connect, and the research that's out there, if you're not connecting with people, you're connecting with something. Who is your connection over and beyond your husband? I know you're, you're close with your sister, but who's your person in your life? Mm, what a great question. My person is my best friend, Sarah. She is just a fabulous human being. She runs an organization that helps adoptions within countries all over the world, like um, in-country adoptions. And she and I have been friends now. We were, we just went to swim on the Olympic Peninsula and went to the lavender farms on Saturday and had a little girl date. And we, we were getting ice cream and talking, you know, how long have we known each other? And we went, wait a minute, we've known each other half our lives now. Cause we met <laughs> freshman year of college and we're both, you know, early mid thirties. And so we went, Oh, whoa. Okay. First we feel like we're getting old. And also that is cool. 18 years of friendship. And we were friends in England and friends in, we were roommates in Chicago and we've just kind of tracked with each other. Now we're in the Pacific Northwest together. We've tracked with each other through 18 years of life. So Mm -hmm. she is my person and just a fabulous human being who is supportive and wise and will also gently call me out on things, which is really important. Um, yeah. And then my sister, my mom and, um, a couple other close friends, both overseas. And then my husband, of course, is, he is my, my big significant person. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. It's always fun to, to hear about those people in your life that you're connected with. And especially when you have that person, like you said, I love your term, you know, that you've tracked with because Lisa and I, same, same thing, 18 years where you really, they're your heart partner. I mean, you have these other people in your life, but they're just that person that you can call up no matter what time. Although now that we're getting older, I can't call Lisa past eight o'clock at night and she's not. (laughs) (laughs) No, that is so not true. (laughs) I see. I'm so late anymore. Yes. I just, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. And we can mock each other. Like, you know, like nobody knows. Like it, it is so fun when somebody knows you when, and you have all these little stories and sometimes all you have to do is say one word and it brings up a whole story. And so that, that is just fun to have that person. Um, yeah. that you can mm, be that way yes. Uh-huh. And she and I get into trouble together. We get into trouble. We have been chased by a shark. We have oh, been, uh-huh. we've outrun a tornado. We have been involved in a flood and a bus accident. I mean, really like it gets dangerous if we're together. Things happen to us. <laughs> oh, that is funny. We, we've had a few of those as well. We haven't had the shark um, story. The last time we were in the ocean, I went in and Lisa did not go with me. But we did do the, was it the tornado, Lisa, mm-hmm. that we were in the underground shelter? Mm-hmm. Twice, I think. Yeah. We, were, we had to be <laughs> one in Target in Chicago and another one, I don't know where we were, but we were in the airport in the Colorado. In Colorado. Yeah, so crazy. So Rachel, tell us about what was the time frame from what took place with your miscarriage to all of a sudden you were able to get pregnant? Okay. Well, interestingly enough, before I was, before we were even thinking about having a baby, I was in church one day and God spoke to me and said, I will give you the child of your heart. And he gave me a picture of a little blonde boy. And I was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. Okay. Wasn't thinking about that and just tucked it away. 
So after we had our miscarriage, I thought, oh my goodness, that was the goodness of God. It was a promise. It was like a pre-promise saying something hard is going to happen, but don't worry. I have a child for you. Mm -hmm. So it was quite a faith journey. It was about a year later, I think, that we um, got pregnant with Ashray. And it was quite um, a faith journey to go, okay, God, I believe this. I believe that God has a child for us and that this pregnancy, even though the only thing I've experienced is a pregnancy not completing, I believe that God will allow us to have a completed pregnancy. So with the next baby, when we got pregnant, and like nine months later, 10 months later, I went, okay, this is it. I know this is the child that God has promised us. And so his name means, oh, how happy and blessed. Mm. And I knew he was going to be a little blonde boy. And the equipment in Budapest isn't very good. So they told us he was a girl. And we were like, we're totally fine with a girl, but no, this is, God has promised us and showed us this is going to be a little blonde boy. And then the next time we went in for an ultrasound, they were like, oh, we were wrong. It's a boy. I was like, I know, I know. (laughs) And he has just been such a blessing to us. And then uh, little Beatrice came along two and a half years later. So Mm. we are doubly blessed and just so thankful for our, for our children and very aware of the gift and the marvel and the responsibility that it is for God to have given them to our family. Mm. That is a significant story and one full of hope, you know, because like you said, so many women are struggling and, and um, again, thank you for being on our show and just reminding us that it is, it is possible to live every day brave and just to show up and to have courage and that we are not alone in our journeys. And I think um, that is what is significant, that we're not isolated in the things and the struggles that we have, but um, we are united with women globally. And so thank you for reminding us. Thank you for your book. We just encourage everyone to to get a copy and to read it. And thank you for listening to our show and being a part of the show and living every day brave. This is Girlfriend at Radio. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.